Amen. Open your Bible, please, to Psalm 27. Psalm 27. How many are glad you're in the house of the Lord tonight? Let it be known with a good, hearty amen. Anybody prefer to be in jail? All right, that's, uh, that's unanimous tonight. We're glad to be in the house of the Lord. We are in what we refer to in our churches, a revival service. And we are praying that God will revive us. That's what we're asking. Lord, wilt thou not revive us again? And we learned from 2 Chronicles chapter 7 that God has a, a template, if you please, a prescription that will lead us to where God will revive his people. Now, I'm not basing that on my own thinking. The Word of God says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, and he's looking for a place where he can show himself strong. Have you ever heard that verse before? You know what he's saying? God wants to do the miraculous. He wants to do a miracle. He wants to show his glory, but he's not going to waste it. He's not going to cast his pearls to the swine. And so the verse continues to say, but he's looking for a people whose heart is perfect toward him. Now, when he says perfect, he is not implying sinless because none of us will ever be sinless in this body someday. We're going to get new bodies. And for me, that's what's going to make heaven. I mean, gold streets, yeah, that's nice. Pearly gates, yeah, that's nice. Seeing my mom and dad and my grandpa, uh, seeing those that have walked before us, all that's wonderful. But heaven's going to be heaven for me because every thought I have will be clean. Every word that I utter will be kind and uplifting. Every deed, whether it's in public in front of all of you or in private where no one else can see, God will be able to say, well done, Bruce. Heaven's going to be heaven because someday there's going to be no more sin. And I'm going to have a body that won't even desire sin anymore. And I'm saying to you tonight, whoo, that will be heaven. Hallelujah. So when God says he's looking for a people whose heart is perfect toward him, he is not saying he's looking for sinless people. The word perfect meaning complete or perfect, wholly given to the Lord. That's why the Lord says in the New Testament when he was questioned about all the commands, what is the greatest commandment? He said, all of them hang on to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. If you love the Lord that way, folks, your heart will be perfect toward him. Now, we're praying for revival. And God says, if my people, which are called by my name, that's those of you or most of you and hopefully all of you, my people called by my name shall humble themselves. And we learned yesterday if we're going to humble ourselves, we're going to have to be honest to God. 
We're not going to look over the small things, the little foxes that spoil the vines. We're going to allow the Lord to come through and look in our life and say, this needs to be done, this needs to be done, this needs to be done, this needs to be done. And we're going to say, dear God, that's what you want, that's what I want. And then we learned last night that God's people need to humble themselves and pray. And then 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14 goes on to say, and, if you know it, say it with me, seek my face. So what does he mean by that? Well, we're going to discuss that a little bit tonight, see what we can learn and make application. And I trust it will be a blessing to your heart and soul tonight. You're in Psalm 27, I would assume. And... uh, Let me help you individually. Suppose in America doesn't have revival. Supposing in our lifetime we pray for America to have revival and we don't see it. Because quite frankly, my dad prayed for revival in America. And he's already in heaven. And there have been scores, probably hundreds, maybe thousands, that are already in heaven tonight that have prayed for America to have revival. So just supposing we pray for revival and in America and it doesn't happen. Suppose we pray for revival in our church and it doesn't happen. Some may pray for revival in their home. And just suppose it doesn't happen. Does that mean you as an individual are doomed and can never experience revival because America's not having revival or your church is not having revival or your home is not having revival? I don't think so. Tonight we're going to read from the scriptures how each and every one of us can experience revival personally. And quite frankly, if you want revival every day, it's available to you. And God knows that if there's enough of us that live in a state of Bible, otherwise alive unto Christ, the abundant life that Jesus Christ brought, then that's just going to ignite the fire for revival anywhere we go. God can use us to start the revival to ignite revival. Psalm 27, this is a wonderful passage of Scripture. Wished I had time to read the entire chapter. What time do we usually get out? About 8 o'clock? Is that our, is that our time? Because I know you guys got to get up and go to work. And But I'm retired. I'm retired. I only work one day a week. You're making me work a couple extra this week. But, man, I like that verse number one. <laughs> The Lord is my light. Notice the personal. He's my light. He's my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies, my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should 
encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. What? Be confident in what? The Lord is my light. He's my salvation. Well, the Chinese are going to overtake America. The Russians are going to take over America. Whom shall I fear? You take my life, guess what? I'm going to be in heaven. I have no reason to fear. One thing I've desired of the Lord, that will I seek after. I love this, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Man, I'd like to camp out on that verse. People, well, I went to church Sunday morning. What do you mean Sunday night? This guy wanted to be in church every day. In fact, he'd like to put a bunk bed somewhere in the building. He just wanted to live there. Oh, that we would have a desire. I was glad when they said, Ooh, let's go to church. And now shall my head be lifted up above. All right, let's get down to where I need to go. This other stuff's too good. Hear me, O Lord, verse 7. When I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. Now here's what I want to focus on. When thou said, seek ye my face. Did you catch that? If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Well, the psalmist has already got that message, and he's writing this independently of that other passage. Seek ye my face. And he replied to God, My heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. So what is it to seek God's face? If we see God's face, we obviously are going to see God. So tonight I want to teach and preach a little bit on this subject, face-to-face -face with God. Seeing God face-to-face. -face. What is it to see God face-to-face? -face? What is it for? Why does God want you to seek his face? And then what it will do. Father, I'm going to do the best I can to teach and preach your word. And I pray that you would en enable me to do so, filling me with your Holy Spirit. And Father, I just pray for the saints here tonight. I pray that the lesson will be a blessing and a source of encouragement. And while the TV, regardless of the news agency on either side of the aisle, Fox or CNN, it, all it does is discourage 99% of those that even name the name of Christ. God, help us tonight to lift our eyes above the television set. And Father, I pray that we would see you tonight. 
and we'll thank you in advance. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. What is it to see God face to face? Has anyone ever seen God face to face? Well, I think, I think the scriptures give us an answer to that. If you're taking down notes, jot down these scriptures. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse number 4. I'll read them to you for the sake of time. The Lord talked with you face to face in the mount out of the midst out of the fire. God spoke to the children of Israel face to face. In Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 35. God speaking, I will bring you into the wilderness of the people and there will I plead with you face to face. Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse number 10. And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Genesis chapter 32, verse number 30. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face. Now I've just read to you tonight four different occasions where somebody saw God face to face. Did you hear that? Now you didn't see it with your own eyes. You're going to trust me that I read to you the scriptures You've jotted them down for you to follow up and look at that later. But I read to you on four different occasions, and I didn't read to you from Judges, where Gideon also saw God face to face. So if there are people listed in Scripture that have seen God face to face, then it encourages us tonight that when God says, seek my face, it's possible for us to see God face to face. But what is it to see God face to face? Well, we know it isn't to see him with our literal physical eye. The Bible says in John 1.18, no man has seen God at any time. Now, wait a minute. We just read four accounts where people saw God face to face. And yet Jesus said, nobody has seen God at any time. He's simply saying, nobody is seen with their physical eye the body of God. For one, God is a spirit. We read in Exodus 33, verse 20, God speaking to Moses, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. Paul, writing the young preacher boy, Timothy, said of God, whom no man has seen nor can see. So let's make it clear, we're not going to be able to see God with these physical guys. I see red right here. I see red right there. I see orange. I see pink. I see, I see you. But I'm not going to see God like I see you. So what does it mean to see God face to face? If we're to seek his face, God's not going to play games with you and and ask you to do something that you cannot achieve. Well, did you pay attention? What took place every time we read that somebody saw God face to face? When Moses saw God face to face, 
you remember what happened? He was receiving something. He was receiving the Ten Commandments. When Jacob wrestled with that angel that night, he was wrestling with the Lord Jesus Christ. In those two other passages where God spoke to two different generations of Israelites, they were saying, whatever God says, we will do. I want to encourage you tonight that when God says, seek my face, he's wanting you to receive his word. When Jacob wrestled with that angel that night, that wasn't any, uh, just any old angel. It was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Theologians refer to that as a Christophany, a pre-Bethlehem appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ didn't come into existence in Bethlehem. He's the eternal I am. He's the creator of the world. And he visited this world on numerous occasions. And when you read often, when you read the angel of the Lord appeared, that is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And Jacob was wrestling with the Lord Jesus Christ that night. And he said, I saw God face to face. Why? He was receiving the word. By the way, in the beginning was the, these three bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word. Jesus is the Word. And he was receiving what Jesus was and what he brought. And so tonight, I want you to Go home with this assurance when God says, and seek my face. The new translations, the English Standard Version says, seek my presence. Well, God's always with us. We're not going to go anywhere without him. And so I, to seek his presence, all right, maybe that's synonymous. But the truth of the matter is, when God says, seek my face, he wants you to receive his word. And when we say receive it, we mean hear it and obey it. Not just be hearers of the word, hearers and doers. Trust and obey. So what is it to see God face to face? It's to receive his word. You got it? So that tells me we got to get in the Word, do we not? Isn't it sad to think that most Christians can tell you the starting lineup of their favorite sporting team, but they can't tell you the 12 disciples' names? Can't tell you the Ten Commandments or the Eight Beatitudes or the 39 books of the Old Testament or the 27 books of the New, and we would be the ones to say we love this book. When we love something, we tend to give our time our energy, and our money to it. I'm not condemning or criticizing. I'm speaking to myself as well as you. I think we need to reexamine what we really love. And if we love God's word, we're going to get in the book. We're going to spend time in the book. Secondly, what is it for to see God face to face? When he says to seek my face, 
What's the purpose of it? James, turn over to James chapter 1. I'm going to be teaching one more point. Stay with me. Don't fall asleep now. I'm just idling my motor right now. We're going we're gonna to put the hammer down here in another, in another point. Stay with me. You've got to get this foundational teaching first. James chapter 1, verse number 23. If you got it, say amen. amen. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. Let me pause there for a moment. I presume that you understand what he's talking about here when he says a glass. He's referring to a mirror, okay? And he's saying, for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, which is many of us on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, let's be honest. And he's saying, a guy that hears the word but he doesn't do it, he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. James says that a man that hears the word but he doesn't do it is like a guy that goes to the mirror and he forgets what he saw. So what did he see? I, you got to ask these questions. What did he see? It's like uh, <clears throat> we had five baby girls. Did I ever, did I mention that? I, five, and I'm, when you have five teenagers, your preacher knows about this as well. <clears throat> we both lived in a girl's dormitory our entire life, but when you have five teenage girls, it's a whole different phase of life. And, and they were all teenagers at once. And uh, I got a little experience watching how a young lady gets fixed up. And uh, I want to tell you, that's art. It's work. If a boy would come over to the house to see one of the girls and they weren't ready to be seen, it would be, ah, lock the door. And upstairs she'd run, get in front of the mirror, and she is ready to go to work. The paint buckets, the tools, and everything come out. And the first thing she does, she looks in the mirror, and she, she doesn't like what she sees. And so she gets this stuff, it, it's a, I don't even know what to call it, a stripper, it strips off all the makeup from the day before, or the weeks before, whatever. I mean, it just, it just takes everything off, and it gets it down to the raw skin, just skin. And then she looks at her natural face. Ah! She doesn't like it. So then she starts out with her first bucket of paint, and it's, a, it's like a base. I always thought a base was a man with a low voice, but a, a base for girls, when she just starts putting over her whole face the, the primer coat and uh, all over her face, and, and, and I always kind of chuckle with older women, please, ladies, don't get mad at me, but the older women, they're on Social Security. They don't have as much money as young people, and so they always stop right here on the jawline. 
and their throat could be like a lighthouse out on the point somewhere. It's wah, wah. <laughs> and so you older ladies, it doesn't cost a whole lot. You could just feather it down a little bit and um, there's a gradual, anyway. So they put on the base and, and then they put on a little bit of red here on the cheeks because they want you to know you got, there's a bone under here. It's like, uh, don't hit this spot. And they put a little red here and then they start working on the eyes and they paint something on the upper eyelid and <clears throat> I don't know what determines the color but it it could change from day to day I've learned as a guy you never ask why you just say whoo looks good and they paint the top part of their eye and then <clears throat> they get pencils and they start drawing on their eyebrows and I'm not sure what this is now but they're drawing on here and uh, it's kind of like coloring it a little bit to make them look darker, bigger, thicker. I'm not sure all, but they're drawing on their eyebrows. And then they get a pair of pliers. And they put them on the eyelashes. And they pluck them out. And then they flutter their eyes a little bit. And if they're not the way they're supposed to look, they clamp it on their And then they take out that pencil again and they draw a line right above. They want you to know this is where the eyelid stops and this is where the eyelashes start. And so they draw a line right there. And then they flutter and they put on a little bit of lipstick and I mean, they're ready to go. But I want to tell you, that's work. Guys, they go in the bathroom, they look at the mirror hey, doesn't get better than that. <laughs> Out they go. You know, when they go to the mirror, this is what James, what many think James is saying. We go to the mirror, and by the way, he's saying the glass or the mirror is God's word. He said we go to the mirror, and that mirror reflects, reflects us. We see the image in this mirror, and it reveals to us a lot of imperfections. And we don't like it. And James says, a man that hears the word, but he doesn't do it, is like a man that goes and he sees, sees himself in the mirror, and he leaves forgetting what he saw. Otherwise, we come to church, we hear God speak. He points out things in our life that we ought to fix, and we walk out of church forgetting what God said. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you have to read the Bible to know where you are imperfect? Third world countries, never seen a Bible. Never met a missionary. They know it's wrong to kill. They know it's wrong to murder. They know it's wrong to commit adultery. They know it's wrong to steal. They know it's wrong to lie. They know it's wrong to want what other people have. 
They know there's a God that they should honor. They know that that God has a name, and they should speak that name in reverence. They know that they should set a day aside, a time aside, to worship him. They know that they ought to honor their mother and father, and yet they've never seen a Bible. How do they know that? Well, Romans says God wrote it on our hearts. All of us have that written on our hearts. And that's why the Bible says man has no excuse. When he stands before God, he's got the written word right on his heart. And the heavens declare the glory of God. And the truth of the matter is, if man wants to know God because of the word on his heart and because of the heavens, and he prays like Cornelius, who did not know God, God will send him a missionary to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nobody will stand before God and point their finger at God and say, I didn't know. I didn't have a chance. It's just not true. But for us tonight, if all we think the Bible is for is to reveal all the imperfections, we go to the mirror and we don't like what we see, if that's what we perceive the purpose of the Bible is, we're going to miss out on an awful lot. Turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's look at another verse of Scripture that just fires me up when I read this. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. But we all, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 18. Are you there? Say amen when you get there. 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with open face beholding as in a what class? Glass, a mirror. This is passage is giving us light of what James is talking about. He says when we look in the glass, we see the glory of the Lord. And we're changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now if you're just thinking superficially you're going to miss out on a treat tonight. God says when you get in this book and you start looking in this book, when you read this word, when you receive this word, you should see more than your imperfections and your sins. You're going to see Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is the glory of God. The good book says there's no need of the sun in heaven because the light is going to be the glory of the Lord. That's Jesus Christ. He is the light of the world. And God says, when we get in here, when we receive his word, we're going to see Jesus 
in here. And we're going to see Jesus in here. And we're going to be changed from glory to glory. Otherwise, I'm going to see Jesus here, God's glory here, and I'm going to see it, and it's going to be reflected in my life, and I'm going to be changed to be shaped like Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of seeing God face to face. You don't have to try to be more like Jesus. Just get in his word, and God will change you to be like Jesus. The most godly people in our churches, the most godly people you'll ever meet are people that are continuously, habitually, of their own volition, of their own determination, of their own desire, that are in the Word of God. And the Word of God becomes a part of their moral fabric of their own character, and they are changed into the very image of Jesus Christ. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his dear son. He that began a good work in you will perform it. God wants to shape you and me to be like Jesus. That's why Ephesians says, be ye followers of Christ as dear children. We're focused on Jesus. We're looking unto him, the author and finisher of our faith. We meditate on the word of God because as we see Jesus here, we're going to see him at work in our own life. And we're going to see in our own life there are times you're going to think, wow, that's not how I used to respond to this kind of situation. It's like, Woo, God came over me. No, he just came in you. The purpose of seeing God face to face is to make you and make me like Jesus Christ. I'm not reading the Bible so that I can win a Bible trivia quiz. I'm not even reading the Bible so that I can, so that I can defend it. You know, you really don't have to defend the Bible. You really don't. It's, it's a weapon. It's the sword of the Spirit. I mean, if you care, if you're packing heat tonight and someone comes in and it's an intruder that's going to violate us, someone's going to pull out that pistol and say, stop right there. And that intruder might say, oh, that's not even a gun. That's a toy. Oh, no. This is a snub-nosed 38. This is a Saturday night special. I got it from bad, bad Leroy Brown. I know what this is. I'm telling you, turn around and walk out. That ain't no gun. That's, that's a toy. It's not. Well, I thought it was. You know how you find out if it is or not? Shoot it. And today we have people that are questioning God's word. That's not really the word of God. You know how you find out? Shoot it. 
Preach it. Quote it. Meditate on it. See if God's telling the truth when he says it's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. See if it won't deliver you from evil. See if it won't help you to not sin against God. Just try it. Just fire it. Seeing God face to face is to change us to be like Christ. Well, now i got to hurry. This is my favorite point. What will it do? got eight minutes to t- preach my favorite point tonight. What will it do if you see God face to face? Because when you got saved, that's the first time you saw God face to face. You received his word. Do you remember what it was like when you first got saved? Woo! I mean, when I got saved, I was eight years old. And when I got saved, even my sisters looked beautiful. I mean, everything changed. It was wonderful. It was awesome. And so when you see God face to face, it makes an impact in your life. And today our churches, they're so filled with pragmatic people. They want to copy. If I tell you what God's word will do in your life, There'll be some people in here that will try to imitate it on their own. But it'll only last while they're in front of others that they're putting on a show for. When you see God face to face, this is what's going to happen inside and change you to be like Jesus Christ. Let's, Let's just look at those four accounts I mentioned earlier. Let's look at Jacob. When you see God face to face, Jacob saw God face to face, and he got a new blessing. I mean, the Bible says, and he blessed him there, Genesis 32. And he blessed him there. And folks, there's nothing wrong, there's no sin in being happy. Now, we had some members in our church back home. I just wanted to outlive them, that's all. But they're never happy. They're always grouchy. They're always complaining. They're always down in the dumps. And especially when I was young, you know, I, I was just determined, hey, how's it going? Oh, preacher, you know, this world is so vile and wicked. I just don't know if I can make it another day. Oh, but we can. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Oh, preacher, it's a battle out there. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. I mean, it's, you know, after about 30 seconds of that, I'm, I'm about ready to shoot myself. I, I just learned that some people, no matter how much you try to encourage them, they're just not going to be happy. They're happiest when you become unhappy. It's like a victory for them. So I'd be slapping high five and meeting my brother like Renee over here who just joined the choir tonight. Man, I love this guy. And Man, he's upbeat and he's encouraging. His spirit's contagious. And, and then I meet Mrs. O'Sourpuss. How's it going, sister? Oh, it's really tough. I know, it's tough. It's miserable out there. It's 78 degrees today, but you know it's going to start snowing here in about two and a half months. It's just tough serving God. Oh, pastor, it's such a joy to see you maturing in the Lord. You know, when you first came, you were so shallow, happy all the time, upbeat, and 
You know, it's so superficial, but you're just really mature. And thank you, sister. Thank you for praying for me. God's doing a work in me, and I'm praying that he kills you because <laughs> you're killing us. There is nothing wrong with being happy, folks. And if you see God face to face, you can't help but be happy. You get a new blessing. James says, Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, this man shall be blessed indeed. Blessed is the man that walketh not, that standeth not, that sitteth not, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Sounds like he's seeing God face to face. And he gets happy. Jacob also got a new walk. You remember that wrestling match at night? And he said, Lord, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. This prayer meeting can't come to a conclusion. I can't go on like this anymore. I need your blessing. I need you to change me. God said, oh, I can do that. And the Bible says he touched the hollow of his thigh, and ever since that time he, he walked with a limp. He got a new walk. And when you see God face to face, you're going to get a new walk. You're going to walk in newness of life. Uh, the Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become. Continuously change. Are become new. I mean, God is at work to change. And that new walk is painful at first because it's so different than the way we used to walk. It's awkward at times. It's different. It's visible. People can see a difference. When you have a new walk, you're more cautious. Ephesians says we walk circumspectly. We're looking around so that we don't trip up, we don't fall. We want to walk the straight and narrow path. We want to do that. We get a new walk. We all have a different walk, do we not? I mean, up in the city, the brothers, I mean, they... They have a walk. They walk with rhythm. I can't do that. I had a roommate that walked on his tiptoes all the time. I'm not making it up. I don't know how he did it. The youth in our church, they literally make fun of me of how I walk. A couple of them imitate me, and the teens think it's hilarious. I don't see anything. To me, it just looks normal. I get one foot in front of the other. My face never touches the ground. That's a good walk. But we do walk differently, do we not? All of us, we walk differently. God's not talking about a different walk. He's talking about an unnatural walk. He's not just saying you're going to have Baptists, Presbyterians, and no, not different denominations, an unnatural walk. Otherwise, God says, you want to be great, humble yourself. You want more, give. It's totally opposite. It's an unnatural walk. Well, Jacob, he got, he got a new blessing. He got a new walk. The children of Israel, Numbers 14, verse 14, that the Lord art seen face to face, thy cloud standeth over them, Thou goest before them. They got two things. They got protection. Folks, if you're seeing God face to face, if you're in his book, if God is changing you to be shaped into the image of Jesus Christ, God's going to protect you. 
If you're in the center of God's will, regardless, downtown in the worst city in North Korea or Afghanistan, now the most dangerous place on the planet to live if you're a Christian, you're better off right there in the center of God's will, seeing God face to face, God's going to protect you. You say, well, Christians have died over there. Do you think man takes another man? God calls people home. And if I drop over dads, well, that's too bad. If he would have wore a mask, he would have lived longer. If he would have lost weight, he would have lived longer. If he wouldn't have been out in that bad part of town witnessing, he would have lived longer. Could someone just say God is in control of that man's life? We have an appointment, folks. It's appointed unto men once to die. Don't be foolish with the life that God has given you. But I want to tell you, God's in control of your death day. You didn't pick your birthday, you're not going to pick your death day. And so live until you die. Some people die 20 years before they die. And they're proud of the fact that they lived an additional 20 years. I want to live until I die. And I want to live for Jesus Christ, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. When you, when you are in God's word and when God's word is in you, you're going to get protection. The government offers abortions and condoms and riddle them and more prisons government housing, and my, 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 all we need is this book. That's why in 65, when the Supreme Court ruled, or 62, to, took the Bible out of the public school system, our country has gone downhill rapidly since that time. We have two generations of people that have not heard the word or the gospel preached. We also get guidance Psalm 119, verse 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, light unto my path. The entrance of thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding to the simple. Psalm 119, 130, The word of God will guide you every which way. Should I get married? Should I move? Should I accept this job? Should I do this for the Lord? Should I, right here, you say, what does it say in there that I should move to California? I'm not going to tell you. You get in this book and God will guide your steps. Not only that, he'll pick up your path and direct your path. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. I'm saying to us tonight to remind us, if we'll see God face to face, he'll, he'll protect us, he'll guide us. There's way too many Christians that are like that gypsy that the city slickers saw for the first time when he's up in Pennsylvania, I think it was, and he's driving through the countryside, beautiful rolling hills, and he stopped out at the top of a hill and just taking in the beauty and saw an odd-looking wagon down there, a horse-drawn wagon and a man dressed up very colorful and saw that man down there and picking up a stick and throwing it in the air and he picked up that stick and threw it in the air and city slicker got in his car and made his way down and introduced himself to the man to find out he was a gypsy. 
never met a gypsy before and learned a little bit about the gypsy culture and, and, and what they, how they live and why they're like a subculture within our culture. And the city slicker was just, wow, this is very interesting. And he said, well, I noticed up there that you were throwing a stick up in there. And he said, yeah, it's a magical stick. He said, it's a magical stick? What do you mean a magical stick? He said, well, when I come to a fork in the road and I don't know which way to go, I just take out my magic stick and I throw it up in the air and, and when it lands, it'll point to me, point the direction that I should go. And the city slicker said, yeah, but I saw you throw it up in the air three times. He said, yeah, I know, it kept pointing right. His point was he didn't want to go right. You're going to keep throwing it until it finally pointed left. There's way too many Christians in our churches today that carry a Bible, and they're looking for a verse, for a verse that will tell them they can do what they want to do. There's a time to dance. See, I told you I could go out to the club. They're throwing the stick up, hoping. They can get it to point the direction they want to go. You see God face to face, God's going to point you in the right direction. And then lastly, let me, let me just hurry up. Last one I want to point out is Moses. Exodus 33, 11, Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh to his friend. When you see God face to face, you're going to realize what a friend we have in Jesus. There is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Matthew 28 says, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Hebrews 13, 15 reminds us, I will never leave thee. I'll never forsake thee. You may feel like your friends have forsaken you. You may feel like nobody understands. And quite frankly, you might be right. But if you see God face to face, you're going to feel, and I know Baptists are squirmish about that word, but you'll feel the presence of Jesus Christ. May 22nd, 1989, I'm coming home from a hospital call. I'm driving southbound on Governor, Governor's Highway, and I see a, a paramedic's wagon, lights going, no siren, but lights going, and driving north, and I pass it, and for some unknown reason, I said out loud in my car, I said, that could be my dad. I drove to the church and went to my office, and there was a note taped on my door, and it said, call Lori, A-S-A-P. That's odd. Lori doesn't usually want me to call A-S-A-P. Call when you can, blah, blah, blah. So I tried to call her at, at home, and there was no answer, and obviously it's before cell phones. And so I just got this odd feeling. I thought, I'm going to drive to my dad's house. Call it a premonition, call it whatever you want. I drove to my dad's house a mile away from the church, and my two sisters were parked out front of the house. And I walked up to the front door, and they came, and they had this look of anxiousness. And they, did you, did you know, Dad? Did you know dad was taken to Olympia Fields Osteopathic? I said, no, I didn't. 
And while we were talking, Lori pulled in, and, and then the four of us got in my car, and we drove over to Olympia Fields, osteopathic. We got out of the car and walked up to the doors, and you know how they automatically open up, and there's another interior set of doors, and just as though I walked through these, a man with reddish hair, about five foot eight, five foot nine, a little shorter than me, came out and greeted me, and he said, are you Bruce Humbert? And I said, yes, I am. Without hesitation, he said, your dad's dead. Man, my heart just sank. He took us into the room where my dad was at. It was a very, very small room. It couldn't have been 8 by 10. 9 by 12, I'm guessing, but very small. He's laying there. His body's laying there. My mom's just weeping, stroking his hair. Don, don't leave me, Don. Don't leave me. And in my mind, my mind is racing. I'm trying to hold back the tears. My heart is extremely heavy. But I'm thinking, I'm now the pastor of the church. I'm the co-pastor, and now my dad's dead, and now I'm the pastor of the church. And that responsibility took the forefront in my mind that I need to hold myself together for my mom, for my sisters. dad did our family a wonderful, wonderful thing for us because he was a sick man most of his adult life with heart trouble. He had written out in case of my death on an envelope. So I asked Lori if she'd go and drive to the church and get it or wherever we had it stored. She went and got that envelope and brought it back, and there was a list of instructions, one, two, three, four, five. The last thing he said was, I'll see you soon. I mean, I was broken up, but I held it together, led in prayer, began to follow the instructions and what we needed to do. He asked us not to have an open casket. Still to this day, those that knew him, we just wonder why it was that way. And it was hard for our church. They loved him. But my mom just couldn't stand the thought of not seeing him one more time. And so on the eve of the funeral, she asked that the casket be open at the funeral home for the family, not for the church, not for guests, just for the immediate family, me, my sisters, our kids. So we're in the funeral home, and just like most of you, you've been to funerals, and there's weeping, there's laughing. The emotions kind of go from one extreme to another. And all of a sudden, I could feel my core about to lose it. I mean, I could tell, you know, there's a, when you cross a line, you know you can't hold it in anymore. And I didn't want to be seen. 
so I left that room and I went into another room. I saw all by myself. And I mean, when I got in that room, I knelt down and I wept. I wept so hard that it hurt. I cried out to God and I said, God, what am I going to do? I'm not near the man my dad was. I got a pastor in the church. And God, quite frankly, this hurts. I don't like this. So I tried to counsel myself. I don't know if you do that, but I tried to counsel myself. Well, what do I tell other people when they're hurting? And we'll quote the scriptures. People, I'm not bragging, but I know hundreds of scripture by memory. But I couldn't think of Jesus wept. I couldn't think of one verse of scripture. I said, God, give me some help. And God said, well, just go back and start at the beginning. The beginning? Like in Genesis? God? I need comfort. I don't need a verse on creation. I need comfort. God said, just go. Go back to the beginning. And I did. I said, okay. In the beginning, God. And God, he stopped me right there. He said, Bruce, beginning and I am all you need now folks I can't explain it to you but a verse on creation in fact not even the entire verse gave me comfort and I felt the presence of God you know how they have music playing in the funeral homes. Been playing all night and I didn't pay attention to one song. When I quoted that verse in the beginning, God, he opened my ears and I heard the song playing that I hadn't heard played since I was 10 years old. In our home church in Akron, Ohio, we had a song leader that would sing quite often on Sunday nights. He would sing, it is no secret what God can do, what he's done for others, he'll do for you. I'm telling you, folks, I saw God face to face. I received his word. I obeyed it. I took it as if it were personally written for Bruce Michael Umbrance. And I experienced friend that's with me when nobody else can be. If I, if I ascend into heaven, thou art there. But if I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. There's just some places in your life that you'll feel like your wife, your husband, your kids, your church, your best friends, they just aren't with you. They have forsaken you. There's some places that you're going to go that nobody else can go. But God will be there. 
He's always there. And you'll experience it if you see God face to face. Do we want revival? Oh, you better believe it. But if we don't have it in America, and if we don't have it in our church, and if we don't have it in our homes, we are not doomed to live without a visitation from God. God can heal your heart. Just need to seek his face. Some of you right here, right now, need to sober up. Get out of the TV. Get off the internet. And get in God's word. And I would challenge you, if you want to just a, if I were your Sunday school teacher, and I've done this in my own church, this would be a practical spiritual exercise I would give you. Read your Bible as much as you watch entertainment. Give God as much time as you give the flesh and the world and the devil. And you're going to see your life transformed. You can't be in the word without it changing you. That's what it is to see God face to face. Let's stand, heads bowed and eyes closed. And maybe some tonight would like to take that challenge seriously and say, wow, I don't know, that's, that's pretty steep. I'd almost rather go on a diet. But, but this will change your life. You'll experience revival, seeing God face to face. Tonight, I would encourage your church, let's get in the book. Father, thank you again for the kind attention of these dear people. I pray that the seed sown would land in good soil, that it will bring forth fruit in the days and weeks ahead. And I pray that we would seek your face have an encounter with Jesus Christ, not just in a revival meeting, but on a regular basis. For that soul that's here tonight without Christ, without confidence of their eternal destiny, not knowing for certain that if they were to die tonight, they'd go to heaven. I pray, Holy Spirit, right now, you would open their eyes to where they would understand the gospel and trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior tonight. And for the church, oh God, would you be pleased? Help us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. For it's in Jesus' name I pray.